How's it going, everyone? Welcome to the Third Decade Podcast, and thank you for tuning into what is our sixth episode. My name is Scott Bennett, and I really appreciate you listening with us. Today, we're going to touch on something a little bit different. Our, our curriculum at the Third Decade, we are the first to admit we're not really breaking any new ground. Everything that we teach and go over and, and our beliefs within the Third Decade, shared by quite a lot of people and uh, really evidence and facts-based and, and stuff that you can easily find on the internet. With that being said, you'd think it would be rapidly shared and accessible for everyone, but the more and more we talk to people and find out, the more and more we find out that's not the case. So even though the curriculum is really upfront and pretty simple, there aren't many places that compiles it in, in one way. And our message that we have at the Third Decade is primarily for young people who are just starting their careers and have moderate means, though we work with all various types of people within the program. Um, but it's clear to us that, that just young people with moderate means, this information can be shared with a lot of other people as well uh, with different backgrounds and career paths. One of the really unique and interesting perspectives we have on this is actually from one of our board members, Jeff Locke. Jeff is a founding board member here at the Third Decade and someone who is working his way and finding his way within the financial advising field. His perspective is really unique, though, because he's a former NFL punter, somebody who played in the league uh, for a few years and had a lot of experience within the league. You'll, you'll hear in our conversation, Jeff had kind of a roundabout way of getting into personal finance, but he's been able to use that and share that with, with different players he, he's played with and actually given presentations to the entire team of some of the teams he's played on. We wanted to talk today to Jeff about what that looked like. Obviously, there are different factors going in when financial planning for NFL players, but what he really highlighted for me was a lot of what we're teaching and what we're doing is the same thing applied and to NFL players who are obviously making a lot more money than most of our third decaders but need this information is so vital and so important to them as well. So here is a conversation with myself and Jeff going into some of the third decade curriculum and how it might apply to a different groups of people. I hope you enjoy. Hey, Jeff, thanks for joining us. Hey, Scott. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we're, we're pretty excited. This is a, this is a different uh, conversation than we've had really on the third decade podcast. Not many times do we get to talk to a former NFL punter a candidate for CFP certification, as well as somebody starting their own financial advising firm with a few other people. How'd you get so interested and in, like kind of go on that path to uh, the financial advising world? Yeah, I was a I was an undergrad uh, in econ at UCLA, so I kind of started there a little bit um, and kind of dabbled in personal finance while there, uh, just kind of tracking my own spending and helping some of my teammates on the football team with their cash flow. Um, but then really my interest really didn't take off until I interned at Dimensional Fund Advisors between my second and third season in the NFL. Um, that's so it was really one of the best experiences I could have had in my life, just kind of opening me up to what post-football might be like Yeah. and some of the takeaways there. I mean, I, I changed my financial advisor after doing that internship and learning so much about the industry and kind of how it's organized. So to say it was – impactful is an understatement. Yeah, so you, you had an advisor with the, I'm sure, did, does the NFL kind of give you a list of names or anything like that for advisors? How does that work when you get into the league? Yeah, it's so interesting at the NFL level because they, they don't want the liability 
of saying any advisor is like their advisor, right? Mm-hmm. So they kind of give you guidelines. There is kind of an approval process that you can jump through hoops as an advisor to be kind of approved by the NFL. But I actually was with somebody that a family friend recommended um, mm-hmm. and didn't didn't know anything about how I was being charged or what I was paying in fees until I kind of had my eyes open at that internship and realized um, I didn't really agree with that that model that I was in. Yeah, so so you were somebody who was obviously an economics major, could handle your own personal finance, and was even kind of teaching others, right? Um, but then still, and, and this is something we see all the time in the program, still kind of didn't know that next level, kind of the the advice, what what it means to hire a financial advisor, and then the different types that there are as well. Yeah, you have no idea. Financial advisor, you come to learn, is just kind of a catch-all term for like yeah. an entire industry of people, even though there's completely different incentives, completely different pay structure, and completely different regulations and rules depending on where you are at in the industry as an advisor. So right. it's so hard for the the end consumer, end investor to really even know what type of advisor they're talking to. Yeah, and I think that's the that's the part of the mission and, and part of the big part of the mission of the third decade is, you know, just just educating people on that. Uh not we don't really uh we, we think, you know, low low cost index funds and, and low cost advisor fees, things like that, fiduciary level advisors are the way to go, but we just more want to educate people on what that means even and then allow you to make your own decision on that. Um so you, you touched on a little bit before on, you know, talking with teammates and stuff on just probably a personal level. Um, but then as you got into the NFL, I'm sure those conversations still happened. And, and the NFL is a really unique thing because there's been whole documentaries and, and news stories and everything about NFL players going broke. And and it's kind of a uh, a story that's been told over and over again of, as a cautionary tale. Is that something that you experienced and saw uh, when you were having these conversations in the NFL? Yes, it's so interesting you bring it up because there's – kind of some misinformation out there about what goes on in the NFL and, and with, with players and their money. Um, mm-hmm. It really started back in, I want to say it was 2009, there was a big documentary called Broke. It was a 30 for 30 and a Sports Illustrated article that followed it up. And the big number was that 78% of NFL players go pretty much are bankrupt or in financial distress within two years of leaving the NFL. Wow. And the 78% number got turned into 80% as the game of telephone made its way through the media. And then yeah. for 10 years, it's just been 80% of guys go broke. That's kind of what it got down to. Yeah. Um, and then when you actually dig into the number, it's just based on opinions of people in the industry and some anonymous sources. So there's no actual data backing up that 78% number. Which huh. something, something I didn't know until I really dug into it, actually while I was at that internship at Dimensional Funds trying to, figure out how to help guys not go broke. Right. The problem is, Scott, that the true number doesn't exist. There's not really a way to track it other than maybe looking at bankruptcy records and other things, but it's so hard to actually track the real number, even though there is research being done now to try and figure it out. Yeah, Um, that makes sense. So it's it's obviously, you know, it's a problem, right? Um, But probably a little bit overstated and, and not not really a number that that's backed that much. Yeah, no, I, I agree it's a problem. 
I yeah. if I had to do my best guess on it, it's it's way higher than it should be for people of that age group making that amount of money in terms right. of having those problems. So right. it's def it's definitely not what it should be. Um but in my personal experience I saw some guys mishandling their money. I think every team I was on there's just a couple guys, just like all of us have friends that yeah. mishandle their money. It's like there's yeah. gonna be a percent there's gonna be a percentage no matter how much you make. Um yeah. but a large majority of guys are just trying to do the best they can, stay in the league and provide for their families. They're not out outspending like some of the media uh, makes it seem. Right, right. So, you know, as you as you started, you know, playing on different teams and kind of making your, your journey around the NFL, and then through that dimensional uh, internship, you kind of started giving talks and helping guys more out in a, in a more formal level, right, where you were addressing groups on teams and things like that. Yeah, that was one of the coolest things about that internship is, my big project was to figure out why guys go broke and try to fix it. So, okay. so where I dug into that stat first, and then I just started researching what yeah. has led to some of the really negative outcomes for NFL players and just athletes in general in the past. Yeah. So, um, so in having those talks, kind of what what were you structuring that around? Like, what what did you see that was happening that? I mean, it, even if it's not 80% um, of people, of ex-players going broke after two years, if that, I mean, that number should be closer to, to 0% in, in yeah. the perfect world, right? So what was the overall message you were trying to kind of get across to players uh, and your peers in, in that field and saying, uh, here's how to avoid some of these common mistakes? Yeah, there were, there were really three things that were kind of unique to pro athletes that I tried to really – really instill in them. First thing was just who to trust. Um, hmm. Most recent numbers show that almost there's been almost $1 billion in athlete fraud in the last 15 years. Oh just people play, placing their money with the wrong people. And that's just the ones that have gone to court and been in the public eye. So the number's probably actually bigger. Yeah. So with that one, it's just telling guys, you gotta you got to vet your financial team. You got to use the resources you can get and do background checks and, and really dig deep on who you're who you're working with. Um, next thing is a tough one. It's just how to manage family and friend ex expectations. Yeah. You come into this big sum of money. Um, a lot of guys that I played with and were around, they came from really rough neighborhoods. They didn't have a lot of support growing up. This is the most amount of money that anyone in their family has ever seen. So you got to really have a plan going in on how to manage those expectations. Um, one one thing I told guys was there's no such thing as a loan to family and friends. If you're giving money to family and friends, it's a gift, and don't expect the money back. Right. Um, that's just the reality of it. And lastly, kind of unique to them is just, I guess really not unique to them, is just what are the signs of bad investments or scams? Um, mm -hmm. A lot of guys get pitched. Um, I hate to use the term, but it's kind of used in our industry, but there's this term called dumb money in the industry, and it's kind of yeah. like, who has the money and doesn't know enough to check on the investment, essentially. And a lot of NFL guys are targeted for being that quote-unquote dumb money right. um, to come into a deal that is way riskier than they actually think it is. So we go through some of those signs of when an investment can be kind of sketchy and when to kind of step away from that. Yeah, yeah, that's so interesting because the, the, the dumb money, I've heard that term before, and – 
you know, I've even heard it talked about with doctors. Um, you know, somebody who is who is coming into their field and, and kind of laser focused and for the first time getting into some money. And now all of a sudden they have somebody pitching them about a different type of investment and they're focusing on practicing medicine. And so they're, they don't have the time and, and the, the, the background in, in personal finance. And it is so such a, in my opinion, a misconception that, you know, that smart people know how to manage their money or rich people know how to manage their money. Uh, it's just not the case. And, and even though you have a lot of money, uh, it, it can al- almost open up more risk for you because more and more kind of those predatory practices, your quote-unquote financial advisors that we see in the industry, um, and that, that billion dollars of athlete fraud is an astounding number, and that shows that it's, it's a pretty big issue. Yeah, it, it is a big issue, and I love that you touched you touched on the doctors. Yeah, it's very similar with athletes, right? It's like you put your entire life dedicating to being the best in one domain, one industry. That's your sport, your profession. Yeah. But yeah. it's hard for someone not to have the expectation that they're also going to be the best and deserve the best in their finances. But yeah. It's really not the case. Like, how how could you possibly be the best of the best at two totally different domains? Oh, um, man. And that's and, and that's where a lot of people get into a lot of trouble. Yeah, that's such an interesting point because, you know, one of the <laughs> passive investing, as we teach it and as we talk about it, is not the most exciting thing. And and for at least in the NFL, I would assume the most hyper competitive people you have out there. Um, that's how they got to be so great to where they are now. And so you have this hyper-competitiveness and then to say, well, here, just put all your money in passive investments and over the long term, it's it's going to win out. But then their friends next to them are saying, yeah, but I made a 50% return on this weird investment, <laughs> yeah. right? And, yeah. and so that kind of playing on that competition. So with all of the research and, and data behind passive investing, did you find that it was widely understood or even talked about uh, in 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 the NFL or even I know young young individuals across the board? Yeah, I found that it was not talked about really at all. I think just like most participants in the third decade, it's like these these players are in the same spot they are coming out of college. It's like yeah. they they've never been taught finance, so why would anyone really know about passive investing when all you see in the headlines and on television is the Jim Cramers of the world um, saying what stock is going to go up and what's a good buy, what's a good sell. Um, That's kind of just what you're exposed to in the, in the media. So passive investing is just so hard for so many reasons to kind of wrap your mind around at first. But then once you get it, you're like, why would I do anything else with all this data behind it? Right. Right. So, and, and so it's not, you know that that information isn't even readily available. So is that part of what you were you were teaching? Is that part of kind of as you were sitting and talking in front of guys, uh, what that was, or was that kind of step two if if they got deeper into it? Yeah, it was really it was really kind of a step two. We touched on it early in, in the presentation that I give to players, um, but really it's just like good investing should be boring. Like, that's just the way it is. Like, good investing is just compounding over extremely long periods of time and getting out of your own and getting out of your own way. 
um, which is like the hardest thing, like we talked about before, for like an ultra competitive person to do because they feel like they should be taking all these actions to create the best result because that's what they do on a day-to-day basis to be the best player they can be. But I'm telling them in their finances, you got to have a totally separate mindset. It's just about contributing as much as you can as early as possible and then getting out of the way and letting it do its thing, which is just so hard to wrap your mind around. That's the best way to possibly grow your money. Right. Right. And, and, and the, you know, especially when, when you have people around you, you know, telling you otherwise as well, that that's gotta be very hard. A lot of third decaders, it's easier because, you know, they're starting at kind of this base level. Um, and I know I was myself of like, yeah, I'm just putting into my, my 401k and, and letting that grow uh, for the long term. But when you have this money up front and people approaching you to do it, uh, that's got to be a hard thing to do. So as you as you sat, you know, you've sat in on our third decade uh, courses. I know you went, you went to the ones in Tempe and you've reviewed our curriculum some. Um, and even even tweak some of it for your presentations and stuff. What are there? What are some of the things? And I know you've touched on a little bit of it in terms of passive investing. But what are some of the things that are consistent? Like what are, you know, young people across the board need to hear this message. Whether or not you're you're a 23 year old signing a multi million dollar contract in the NFL or a 23 year old just graduating and and starting a teaching career. Yeah, I mean, there's so many. So many parallels. Um, one of the biggest one is just the need for an emergency fund. Uh, we talk about it in the third decade. In, in the NFL, it's a little different because the average NFL career is only three and a half years. A lot of people don't know. It's a very short career. Um, most guys aren't the superstars. And their emergency funds actually need to be pretty big, almost a year to a year and a half of spending because a lot of guys will get – cut from a team and have to spend over a year to try and get back on another team. Mm. So as we call it being on the tryout circuit in the NFL. And this happened to me after one of my cuts, it took me over a year to get back into the NFL. And I was just trying out for team after team after team. So having Mm. a one year, having a one year emergency fund saved me to even be able to do that. And with that, just real briefly, you, you didn't have, other jobs or anything? It's, it's, is it pretty much impossible to work outside of it? You're probably training and then have to be ready to try out whenever the phone rings, right? Yeah, it's, it's one of the ugly parts of the NFL uh, for everything that's great about it is the tryout circuit is literally you staying ready for a phone call to jump on a flight within six hours hmm. to a team to try out. So you can't get another job, can't do anything else but really train, rest, and stay mentally ready for a phone call at any time to fly to the team and possibly be on that team for that next game. So mm-hmm. the emergency fund is just completely necessary. You don't have an ability to go out and earn all that's going on. Interesting. Um, and then one of the other really big things is just the impact of taxes. I know you guys talk about it. It's a very misunderstood topic, how taxes work for almost right. everyone starting out their life. But the way that I've talked to NFL players about it is whatever the – whatever the number you see in the media for what you're going to earn over your career, first of all, only the guaranteed money is guaranteed. It's not the big number. And then you cut that guaranteed money in half for taxes. Mm -hmm. You're going to be at the highest tax rate. Some states are going to have less, but the safe way to do it is just cut that money in half. And guys look at me like, what? 
I'm not getting all that money that it said in the media. So that's a it's a huge it's a huge grounding effect for players when we're starting from that base versus what they thought they were getting um, before before taxes. Yeah, it's, and then, it's got to be a little bit of an uphill battle from the emergency fund to the taxes, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That, yeah. Yeah, you're not you're not coming in with a with a bunch of exciting recommendations there, Jeff. I am not. No, it's uh, I get them excited in other ways before I tell them this news, but um, <laughs> it's just kind of it's just kind of the reality of what it is. It's like the, yeah, if if you don't want to be put in a pinch where you're having to sell investments that were meant for the long term, you gotta you gotta do the planning up front for all the expenses and all yeah. the possible all the possible needs, which is kind of just that tough medicine that. Once you once you learn it, it's going to pay huge dividends for the rest of your life. Right, right. Anything else? Any other themes, common themes that you're kind of that you see between both? Yeah, just, just a couple more things. Like we, you talk about the hedonic treadmill in the third yeah. decade. Um, yeah. I always use the term "keeping up with the Joneses," but it's really the same the same effect. Um, it's just keeping your spending under control. Yeah. And the only way to unleash the power of compound interest is to have money to compound spending spending has to be the first thing when you think about it if there's no money doesn't matter what return you get or how long you let it sit doesn't do anything right so spending is such a huge thing and it's so hard for young players especially because they see their teammates in the locker room on their second and third contracts that do have 20 million dollars in the bank and they think they have to spend like them and live the lifestyle like them. Right. Um, so I tell them, like, you don't need to make any of those big, big purchases until you get that second contract after year four or five, and you've beaten the averages of staying in the NFL past that three-year average. Right. Uh, and then really the last thing that has really good carryover is just the cash flow management. Um, mm-hmm. one, one thing a lot of people don't know about the NFL is, in the past and on most teams, players only get paid during the four months of the season. So they get their entire paycheck over four months or like 17 to 18 weeks. And then they got to make that last for 12 months of the year. So cash flow management is huge. You can't just go out and spend that big check you get in week two of the season because um, then you're going to roll around to July of the next year and be hurting for money if you didn't save appropriately and budget appropriately. So having a full year budget kind of before those paychecks hit is, is really key for a lot of NFL players to make sure they're not, they're not hurting in the off season. Wow. Yeah. And those are, those are all things that would have never thought of really. And, and that, that, uh, and, and even, even for third decaders, I, I see we, uh, we teach that stuff because we've seen the adverse consequences of it. Right. Um, and we've seen that that people that information is not readily available. And yeah, you you graduate from college, you worked really hard, uh, and you start in your career, and you get your first big paycheck. Well, hey, you should be thinking about buying a house now, or hey, you should be, <laughs> uh, you know. And and it's kind of the the way of life, and, um, and that's got to be magnified a ton for for NFL players. So, well, Jeff, this was super interesting, and and really, you know gratifying to hear that some of our message has been spread throughout other people we wouldn't necessarily think of as our traditional third decaders and um, I really appreciate all the work you're doing with us here at the third decade to run on our board and being that voice 
and, and that different experience and, and continue will continue to do um, with your clients down the road. Thanks, Scott. Appreciate you having me on and uh, really excited about the direction of, of the third decade and, and, and what's going on and, and helping as many participants as we can. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed the conversation with Jeff. And please look out for our next episode coming out in a couple of weeks. Talk soon.